Good, good morning. Good morning. Is it good morning? morning. All right. Welcome. Well, uh, I might be a little bit, a little extra amped this morning. Uh, Full disclosure, I had uh, a Red Bull this morning. Uh, Don't worry, it was sugar-free. So I might be just kind of walking around more than usual, but I'm excited uh, to be here. So many cool things uh, happening in the life of Bethany, uh, West Seattle, especially during this uh, time of Lent. Uh, again, as we talked about last week, Lent is this old word meaning springtime, where we await resurrection, where it's this time of uh, traditionally 40 days uh, of, of maybe you're fasting from something, uh, whether it's uh, a food or, or, or sugar or ex- not fasting from exercise, well, maybe you are, uh, but maybe adding something uh, within these 40 days in order to enhance your relationship with God so when Easter comes, it will be that powerful and sacred moment and experience and day uh, for all of us. And so uh, I just want to say, if you weren't here last week, uh, I just want to let you know that in the front row, she's going to hate that that I'm doing this, uh, but a dear friend of mine, Tara, is our resident artist for Lent, for Easter, Uh, and each week uh, she will be painting a, a Station of the Cross uh, which is something that happens in Jerusalem, which is uh, different stations that Jesus went through to the crucifixion. Uh, and we'll have it on display the next few weeks. Uh, and then at the end of that, uh, they'll go for sale. Uh, and uh, what we're doing is uh, the proceeds that come in will go into support uh, one of our dear friends, my dear friend who I know personally, in uh, Lebanon working with uh, Syrian refugees. Uh, and so it's a great opportunity for us to, from Seattle, from a distance, support and engage and be with those that are doing the, uh, the, the hands-on and the, and the groundwork uh, with, with a mission and a vision that we truly, truly uh, believe in. And so uh, be excited for that and know that that's coming up. And again, Ashley, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. And, and as she said... We did, as a leadership team, we decided that the check-in and everything is just going to happen through the front doors. I mean, it's, it's exciting because we get to all see each other and everyone gets to see the children and it's going to be wonderful. At the same time, it was a little sad because of the reason why we did it is because we want to make sure uh, that families and children, uh, we feel safe. And so we want to keep those doors locked at all times downstairs. Um, and so thanks for being flexible and thanks for willing to, to do that. Uh, and I saw a few of you scoot towards the middle today, not all of you, but some of you. I'm beginning to think that there's like, is there like a vortex in the middle or something? Because don't think I didn't see last week when I said, hey, will you move to the center? And literally nobody moved at all. Uh, don't think I didn't notice that. So uh, all that to say is we're going to continue in Psalm uh, 23. Uh, and, and for Lent, we're going to be doing that all, all up until Easter uh, and it's just six verses, and we're really going to break it down. And, and I just want to say these words to you from the psalmist David, chapter 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. And we'll look at those words from David. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, that you have given to us this season for us to focus on you and to uh, really do an inventory of what needs to stay, what needs to go, what needs to be added in order for us to be more intimate and know you deeply. We await the celebration of the day that you gave your life to us and you rose again on that third day to defeat death and to give us victory as a song and as we sang. 
We thank you in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, And that's such a difficult thing uh, for us to read and say, yes, I'm there. When David says, out of all the things that are happening, I will remember this, whether good or for bad, that God is my God, as we talked about last week. God will be who I need God to be, and God is my shepherd, meaning God is going to take care of me as God's sheep. And the metaphor of sheep and shepherd was, was alive and real and very tangible, especially from David, since David was a shepherd himself. And so I look at my life, and I look at our lives collectively, how easy is it for us to say, no matter what, in all circumstances, I shall not want. We say this, we believe this, and we want this to be true, and yet it's difficult. But it's tangible, is what we'll see today. I remember when I was in high school, my freshman year of high school uh, was when I had my first girlfriend, my first relationship. Freshman year of high school, I, uh, I thought I was in love, and this was the one, my freshman year. Uh, and then at the beginning of junior year, everything changed. We broke up. She made the biggest mistake of her life. She broke up with me. Uh, uh, but let me just say this. It was junior year of college. Uh, and so we were dating for about six years, I'd say. Uh, and, and I remember when she broke up with me, it was one of the most devastating things I've, that, I've, that I've ever experienced. I mean, here I was, a, uh, end of my sophomore year uh, in college, and I go through something that is so traumatizing uh, as a breakup, as a, you know, we were dating for so long. Uh, and I remember this was a time that actually put me at a crossroads to say, okay, uh, I, was, I was at one of the greatest colleges ever, WSU, uh, and I was in a fraternity with, with some of my best friends, even to this day, uh, and I had some advice saying, okay, in order for you to get over this breakup, here's something you should do, and, and it involved, let's just say, not very uh, Christian-like advice. They had great intentions, but they're saying, hey, here's what you should do. Come out with us. Let's party. Let's, let's do all this stuff. You'll forget all about her. And then I was part of, uh, back then it was called Campus Crusade for Christ, and I had somebody who kept on pursuing me and saying, you know what, hey, show up to crew, show up to, to, this, to this, you know, worship, kind of like a, tr- a weekly gathering. Uh, and, and so I was at this crossroads. In this time of devastation, in this time where my circumstances weren't ideal, what path would I take? Would I take the path that seemed more fun, really, uh, or this path where uh, this person who I didn't even know very well was pursuing, pursuing me, coming over to study the Bible with me and saying, hey, in this time of devastation, come with me. And for whatever reason, by the grace of God, that was a moment I started getting really serious about my faith. I grew up in the church. I, I went to church. And, and yes, when college hit, I wasn't make, making the greatest decisions uh, uh, always. But th- it was at that moment It was at that season of life where I came to that crossroad and I said, this is the route that I want to take. This is what's going to actually bring me healing and comfort and peace. 
And it was actually working. I remember, you know, in Philippians, when we talk about God gives us this peace that transcends all understanding, which means, in other words, no matter what you're going through, it's possible for us to feel this sense of peace and for us to say, I don't know where this comes from, but, but I feel it. And I feel like that's where I was at. I was like, I, I feel like everything should be in shambles. I should be hurt. I should be depressed. And, and yes, that's true. And, and it, was, it was a painful experience. And yet in the midst of that, I found in myself to say, but, but somehow I know things are just going to be okay. I don't know how. I don't know when. But it's just this peace that transcends all understanding. And I remember my dearest friends, you know, they would kind of say, you know, man, Prince is doing really well, really well. And I remember, and I'll never forget this, one friend said to another about this season that I was going through, he said this. He said, oh, you know, because I started getting really religious. And he said, oh, he's just using it as a crutch. He's just using, you know, God and going to, you know, in church as a crutch. And I remember thinking, man, am I, is that what I'm doing? And, and I look at our lives when we go through difficult times, and when we look to God for peace, God, help me. You're the only thing that, you know, can, can be there for me. Are we using God as a crutch? And, and part of me wants to say, yes, and, and, and that's okay. Because what, when do we use crutches? When we're hurt, when we're sad, when we're going through something, when we have a broken bone, you know, when we can't walk, we use crutches. And that's what God was doing for me. He, God was being a crutch for me. But at the end of the day, I knew what my friends meant. But here's my response to that. My response is Christians, followers of Jesus, we respond to circumstances perhaps in a different way. Perhaps in a, in a way that is consistent to the way that God calls us to live, the hope that God gives us, the promise that God gives us. In light of that, that is how we should really respond to all circumstances in our lives. And so, so, so our circumstances may change, whether good, whether bad, whether painful, whether sorrowful, whether, whether you know, in tears or in pain. Our circumstances may change, but our response will always remain. And I love what David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack anything is what some translators say. No matter what I'm going through, I will not lack anything. And so the way I responded to the crutch statement is that, yeah, it may seem like I'm using something or somebody as a crutch, but the reality is, though my circumstances may seem bleak, my response will always remain. See, Christians, we're not exempt. Well, well really, whether you're a Christian or not, in life, we're not exempt from all seasons of life. Whether good, whether great and wonderful, or the opposite of that, where we experience loss and hurt and pain and betrayal, and so many times there's this myth saying, all right, uh, once you become a Christian, then life is awesome. God is going to help you always and cure all your problems and, and make life just so wonderful. And what we've realized, for those of us that have been Christians for, for some time, we know that that's just not true. 
just like everybody else, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, we all experience seasons of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and what's important for us to understand is this context that David is writing uh, this, this psalm, actually a majority of the psalms. That David's life was filled, just like our lives, with many ups and downs. We know how David was feeling because of our own experience. In Psalm 23, this was a time when David was feeling at a loss. He was experiencing what we would call a wilderness experience, a season of wilderness. See, there's a corresponding story in 1 Samuel 23 where David is being hunted down by Saul. Saul wanted to kill, eventually, what we see as King David. See, what we uh, understand about David is there's a story about David and Goliath. I know if you grew up in the church, then, then you know this famous story. Maybe some of you guys don't know the story. Uh, but there was this giant enemy, this Philistine, said it was over nine feet tall. Uh, and the Israelites were th- thinking, who is going to defeat this, this beast, this animal, this Philistine? And, and even God's army didn't step up and said, you know what, Man, let's wait. Let's just wait to see what happens. And David, this shepherd boy, steps up and says, you know what, if you're not going to do something, I'm going to do something about it. And again, many of us know the story. David ends up defeating the giant Philistine, Goliath. And, and in the midst of David, the shepherd boy, coming out of the woodworks, defeating Goliath, he gets high praise from all the people, from all the community from all the nations, he says, David is the one that we adore. David is the one that we love. David is our hero. And at the time, it was King Saul. And Saul was saying, uh, well, I'm your king. And, and, and throughout 1 Samuel, uh, the saying goes that although hundreds praise King Saul, thousands praise David. And so out of that jealousy from King Saul, Saul wanted to kill David and wanted to end his life because of that. And so all throughout uh, David's life, before he was king, he was actually on the run. And in Psalms 23, uh, many scholars, and I believe this, that he was on the run because he was in fear of being killed by King Saul. uh, And he was running into the wilderness of Judah. In the other Psalms, it talks about him running away to, to the deserts and the wilderness of Judah. And that's where he went to escape being killed. For what? For saving his own people from the Philistines. From doing what was right, what was good, what was courageous. And yet he had to go on the run. He was in the wilderness. And all throughout Scripture, even the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, uh, wilderness symbolizes loss and confusion and weariness and, and, and thirst because oftentimes wilderness and desert, they're used synonymously. Uh, it, it represents hunger and pain and hopelessness because you're stuck and you're lost in the wilderness not knowing where to go. This is what the wilderness symbolizes. And this is exactly where David was. He was in the wilderness, and yet he was to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can even paraphrase this and say, and say that David says something like this. Even though I'm in the wilderness, even though I'm in this physical place of loss, of pain, of thirst, of hunger, I shall 
not want. And so I don't want to, you know, give you a spoiler alert, but in a few weeks we'll talk about verse 4, where it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. David's in the wilderness. And yet he's able to say, I lack nothing. Are you in the wilderness right now? So many of us, we, we've experienced wilderness, a season of wilderness in the past. Maybe some of us are experiencing wilderness right now. And maybe some of us will, again, experience wilderness in the future. Maybe there's confusion or loss in your, in your career. Maybe there's brokenness in your relationships. Maybe there's hurt in your family. Maybe there's addiction. Maybe there's anxiety. Maybe there's depression. And I've experienced almost all, all the above. I've experienced wilderness. Have you? A place that symbolizes loss, confusion, weariness, thirst, hunger, pain, hopelessness. And some of you guys, you guys showed up here in the wilderness of your life, hoping, expecting something to change, and maybe even with a hint of doubt. For those of you that showed up this morning, thank you for taking a risk and showing up with an inkling of hope that something can change. And I want to believe for you on your behalf. I want to believe for myself that something can and will, and God wants that this morning, today, this minute. Are you in the wilderness? Because the, the way that God's economy works is God, is God works in mysterious ways, and I would say this, though we all experience wilderness, it's in the wilderness that becomes a pathway to life. God flips the wilderness upside down, and once, uh, at one time when a metaphor of wilderness is lost and shame and pain and hurt and sorrow and depression and anxiety, God flips that upside down and says, wilderness actually ends up being a place where you actually receive life. But it takes courage. It takes courage to go into the wilderness where God has you, whether it's right now, whether it's before, whether it's in the future, to say, all right, God, in this wilderness, what do you have for me? That takes courage. It's, I would say it, takes, uh, it doesn't take much courage, or it's easy to be down and out, to be doubtful, to be hopeless, to just continue to thirst, to continue to be hungry, to experience no change. That's easy. But it takes courage to say, God, in this wilderness, what do you have for me? Because oftentimes courage and comfort cannot coexist. Oftentimes courage and comfort, it can't coexist. And in the wilderness, what do you choose? Comfort or courage? And I would say through courage, we discover what God has for us in the wilderness. And yes, it's a, it's a physical wilderness all throughout Scripture, but it represents something that we've all been through. Maybe we've never necessarily been lost in the wilderness, though I have. Uh, we've all experienced seasons in our lives that represent wilderness. 
And yet what we realize without even knowing it is that it's in the wilderness that there's transformation. There's a light bulb that goes off. Just like physically. Because we get thirsty. We've all been thirsty before. We all need water. We've all gotten thirsty. We know that we need water. Because we all have gotten hungry. We know that we need food. Because we get cold, we know that we need clothing and shelter. Because we have been hurt, we know that we need help. Because we've seen and experienced and heard about injustice, we know that we need an advocate. I mean, look at the news. We know that things are just not right. It's not the way that God intended life to be. We see racism. We see oppression. We see marginalization of peoples and communities. We see a rejection of refugees and and others and God's people and immigrants. We see homelessness. We see these injustices that opens our eyes to say, okay, things are not right. See, it's that very pathway of darkness and death that leads, hopefully, to something that brings forth light. Well, again, when we get thirsty, it's out of that thirst we realize something needs to change. I need a drink of water. When we get hungry, something needs to change. I need food. And just, you know, going off script a little bit, just a plug, like I'm so proud of our community to be a community that acknowledges that there's hurt and there's pain and there's wilderness, uh, not only in our lives, but in our surrounding, lives surrounding us, and we want to do something about it. You know, this Lent, uh, we have a, a uh, small group uh, that meets Wednesday nights, led by Taylor and Jeremy, uh, where they go through a book called uh, Roadmap to Reconciliation. And so I don't want to speak on their behalf, uh, but it might not be too late to join, uh, and, and if, okay, good, awesome, uh, and, and if you want to join, please come talk to myself, Jeremy's over there, and Taylor will be around, you can meet us out in the foyer, but it's one way for us to say, all right, in this wilderness, in our community, we want to bring light, there's something about that wilderness, that hopelessness, that place of thirst and of hunger that actually stirs something within us to say, all right, something needs to change. It becomes a pathway to transformation and really joy and hope. You know, I tell the story <clears throat> where a couple years ago I did a uh, backpacking trip to Glacier National Park. Uh, many of us uh, have a special place in our hearts for, for Glacier. Uh, I, I know that I do. It was one of my first big backpacking trips. And I remember I was in one of the mountains um, in, in East Glacier. And we did, I think it was like a 10 to 12 mile hike up to go backpacking. We had like a 30 pound pack on us. Uh, and I remember it was just, it was painful. You know, oftentimes I, I find hiking so ironic because everyone says, I love hiking. 
And yet when we're hiking, we're always, at least it's me, I'm just complaining. I love hiking. Let's go hiking. I'm going hiking. Oh, my gosh. Can we hurry up and get to the top, please? Because, you know, it's, it's just so much struggle. You know, we had a pack on. There was a time where I fell down, and I was bleeding through my pants, and there was blood coming out. I was thirsty. Uh, and there's a story where uh, my friend Dan, <clears throat> who used to go here, but they moved to Arizona. Dan and I, we were halfway up the mountain in, like, 100-degree weather. And he says, Prentice, I... I forgot something. It's like, all right, what did you, you know, what did you forget? I forgot our water purifier. Like, oh, okay, you know, because I was drinking water out of my bottle and it was just almost empty. And now we hear that he forgot his big water purifier. And so, you know, we finally get to the top. And I remember at the top, I was looking across all the mountain, all the all the plains, all the foothills. Man, it was a beautiful. Sight. I mean, if you've ever been on top of any summit or any mountain, especially at a national park like Glacier, you get to the top and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is beautiful. And, and I look back at that hike and I remember all the things that I went through to get up there. I fell down. I was bleeding through my pants. We ran out of water. I was hot. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was struggling physically. I was getting grumpy with my hiking partner. And it was all of that wrapped up into one package that when I finally got to the top of the mountain, I said, wow, all of that made this even more beautiful. I mean, can you imagine uh, if I got into a helicopter and they just dropped me off at the top? Sure, it would be beautiful. Sure, I would appreciate all of what God is doing. But I can almost promise and guarantee that it wouldn't have been as special and powerful than if I didn't experience what I experienced. So many of us were going through a season of wilderness, which symbolizes pain, loss, anxiety, depression, hurt, addiction. And yet the way that God works is that God can flip that upside down. It says the very thing, the wilderness, the very thing that brought you pain is going to be the very thing that brings you life. Because in so many ways throughout the scriptures, even in the New Testament, uh, God uses the wilderness to prepare an individual or a group for something great. For something big. And it's weird. It's this refining, you know, season where God says, all right, you went through the wilderness. It's almost a sense of initiation. And God says, finally, you're ready. Moses went through a season of wilderness right before he received the Ten Commandments, the tablets. Ruth went through a season of wilderness before she experienced new life. New family. David went through a season of wilderness before he became king. Jesus went through a season of wilderness, literally 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness before he began his earthly ministry. Throughout all of scripture, the wilderness became a place of preparation for something bigger. And the question is, in the midst of your wilderness, what is God preparing you for? 
Because I really believe that God is preparing you through the wilderness for something bigger and greater than the circumstances that you're living in right now. Your life and who you are is not determined by the circumstances that puts you in this little box. But those circumstances prepare you for something bigger that God has called you to do and to be. What is that? What is God preparing you for? Because at the end of the day, we can say, for the season of wilderness, God, thank you. You may not see it now. You may not hear it now. You may not even believe that now. But at the end of that season of wilderness, I'm confident that we can say, God, thank you. Thank you for the season of wilderness, for what you taught me, for how I grew, for my, for my even revelation to know that I was hungry, to even know that I was thirsty, to even know that I was hurt, to know that I was betrayed, to know all these things. It was through that wilderness that light bulb came on for me to do something about that. And I love what Henry Nouwen says. Henry Nouwen is an author. He's a theologian who did good works. Uh, what he says, and I'll never forget, I love this quote. He says, woundedness is the best teacher. Henry Nouwen says, woundedness is the best teacher. That is so true. And I think that's true for all of our lives. And we can even compare it w- w- with sports. You know, and I just, I, I heard uh, this coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time, some would argue, his name is Pat Riley. Uh, he was a coach for the Knicks, the Lakers, the Heat. Uh, and I remember reading something that he says, and he says, in all his life of coaching, it is a, the games that you lose that actually teach you something. It's actually the games, uh, you know, in disappointment in the loss that you experience as a team, as an individual, where you actually grow and you learn and you want to be a better basketball player in his context. It's not the wins. The wins are great and they want to continue to win, but the wins don't really teach you anything. The wins don't really compel you to change because if you're winning, you're great. That's what you do. Winning, you're fine. You're content. You're, shall I say, comfortable. But Pat Riley would say, and it's, it's in the loss when you do poorly in a, in a game or, or, you know, you don't do your part in a play, whatever it is. It's during those times where you want to get back into the court. You want to look back in your game and say, okay, what did I do wrong? What do I need to fix? Who do I need to turn to? Who do I need to apologize to? Where do I need uh, to change? It's during the loss that you, you think about these things, not when you win, It's in the same way that when God has a calling for us, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. Because David understood that even in his experience of wilderness, that God has something from there, that God is teaching him something through that, something where he may have never experienced had he not gone through the wilderness. And therefore, he can confidently say, because of that, I have everything that I need. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. There's something about that kind of death that gives life. That's what Lent is all about. That's what Easter is all about. And I love what, I didn't even know Chelsea was going to read this, but in John chapter 10, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. 
just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. David, with his sheep analogy, says, God is my shepherd. Because God is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will not be in need of anything because God will provide. Even in the season of wilderness that all the people in the Bible experience, God will provide. In my time of wilderness, God will provide. In your time of wilderness, God will provide. God will come through. Yahweh, God, I am, the one who will be who we need God to be, will provide. God will be our shepherd. Shepherd, again, the one who takes care of the sheep. The sheep, for lack of a better word, they're dumb. They're vulnerable. Without a shepherd, they will literally die. And yet we are the sheep. And we cling on to our shepherd, the good shepherd who Jesus calls himself to be, who lays down his life for us. And I love that story uh, of the good shepherd where, where Jesus also says, uh, as your shepherd, I become the gate. What Jesus is talking about is that uh, in the wilderness, uh, there's a sheep pen. It's like this circle, this, this pen, like, almost like a big baby gate. I don't know, maybe you guys have that. Uh, where the shepherd uh, brings all the sheep in to the pen during the nighttime, uh, for them to sleep, to get some rest, and to be away from mainly danger from the wolves. Because, again, without the shepherd, without protection, the sheep would die. And and so what the shepherd does is rally his sheep, puts them in this pen, uh, and in the first century, in this pen, there was an opening, would be the door. Uh, There wasn't an actual physical door that you open, it was literally just an opening. It was a big gap that was used as an entrance and an exit for the sheep. And so during the nighttime, when the shepherd would bring in the sheep, the shepherd would literally sleep at the opening where the door is so nothing could get in and the sheep couldn't get out. The shepherd literally uh, put his life on the line to protect the sheep from prey. From the sheep to run around, you know, because the sheep are dumb. They don't know that staying inside the gate is the right thing, so they would leave. So the shepherd would lay down in that gap to say, I'm laying down my life for you. I am providing who I am, so you'll have everything you need. During the day we go out, we, the shepherd gra- allows the sheep to graze, to eat, to drink water, to experience the nature. At night, the shepherd brings in the sheep, lays down his life. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd for you. Are you in the wilderness? Are you experiencing loss? Are you experiencing pain? Whatever it is, God says, I will be who you need me to be. God sent his son down to say, I will lay down my life for you. Meaning, I will provide all the things that you need. Do not worry. Do not worry. And so we can confidently say that in our circumstances, in our wilderness, though that may change, our response will always remain. And our response may be, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Though the circumstances may change, may our response always remain. And as I invite the worship team back up, may we dwell on this. Are you in a season of wilderness? Will you name that? Will you take an inventory as, as the music goes? You can sing along, you can sit, you can pray, you can meditate, whatever it is. But will you just do me a favor? Will you take an inventory? Are you in the wilderness? Is there someone around you experiencing wilderness? Do you see it? If, you, if the answer is no to both, let me just give you something. Our world, our society, What's happening with our politics and our leadership and whatever it is. And again, the refugees and the immigrants and the homelessness. Like there's so, there are people in the wilderness right before our very eyes. If not your own. If not the people that you personally know. In the next prayer, as we identify and name the season of our wilderness, to say, God, in this wilderness, what do you have for me? What are you, what are you teaching me? What are, you, what are you doing into my soul that will cause growth and intimacy and peace? Because God's funny. That's the way God works flips it upside down and says the very thing that brings you death will be the very thing that brings you life. What is God preparing you for? Maybe it's to be a voice in someone's life. Maybe it's to be an example of faith, hope, and love. Maybe it's to Share the gospel of Jesus because of your life and the way you handle wilderness. Now, may your life be a testimony. May be a witness. Again, not a lawyer, not a judge. God doesn't need judges. God needs witnesses. What is God preparing you for? Because God will provide. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know in what way. But may this be true. Though our circumstances may change, our response will always remain. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as you came in and you received your program, there's a... um, a connect card in there. If you're new, you're welcome to fill that out. You're welcome to just let us know you were here. If you have prayer requests, you can write that down. Maybe it's a response. You can write that down and we'll pray for your response. Maybe your response is, uh, or it's in a form of prayer. God, help me to see what you have for me in the wilderness. Or, Or God, maybe God, help me to name what my wilderness is. Maybe it's a prayer for somebody else. Write that down. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe this morning you've tried everything. And I don't know what brought you here. 
Maybe it's a really good friend. Maybe it was a sign on the street. I don't know. And maybe this morning for the first time you're saying, God, I've tried everything, but I want to try this. What does it mean to walk with you and to experience the provision that you promise? And we call it a first-time, you know, decision. If that's you, will you just check that so we can reach out to you and we can talk about that? Or maybe it's been a while. You show up to church because it's routine. And this morning, we identify the wilderness. And you, say, and you say, today I decide to come back. Maybe you want to let us know so we can pray with you and follow up with you. And as you walk out at the end of the service, uh, there's a, a silver tin that you can throw that in. Don't walk out of here without prayer. Don't walk out of here uh, without naming where you're at. And may we as a church, as a community, collectively be there for one another. Let me pray. God, thank you that you've given us new life. And oftentimes that new life comes out of death. Maybe some of us are going to experience that death right now, that mourning, that grieving, that pain, that sorrow, that loss, and tears. But God, may we also ask in the midst of that, what do you have for us? That question alone changes everything, flips the wilderness upside down, and transforms us. And we'll thank you for that. Convict us, compel us, heal us. Bring people in our lives that we need to talk to, to reconcile with. It may be, it may we be more aware of your spirit that works within us. In your name we pray, amen. Let's worship together.